Hi, everyone. I'm Bonnie. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Bonnie. Uh, it's really good to be sitting in this chair tonight um, sharing with you guys. So I'm going to talk about what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, the normal formula. And hopefully I can give um, enough time to dedicate enough time to talking about this crazy ride that sobriety has been. Because it's been fucking cool. And um, I think it's important for you guys to hear all that stuff. So, that being said, if you hadn't already guessed, there's going to be a lot of profanity in my share tonight. So, if that offends you, please leave or disconnect. Pause your SoundCloud. Um, and there's also a good amount of drugs um, in my story. So, let's get started. Uh, I was born in San Francisco. Um, well, let me say my sobriety date first before I forget. March 1st, 2008. So, recently, I just I celebrated 10 years. Um, thank you. It is the only, it is one of uh, many pieces of evidence I have that a higher power uh, is working in my life. Totally. That's all the proof I need um, for the, in proof of, of a higher power. Yeah. Um, so I was born in San Francisco, uh, one in the set of twins. I have a twin sister. She is also um, sober today. She paved the way for a lot of things. Um, and she was, she was um, a person who, like, I had this person who looked just like me, who was sort of um, like a barometer of, like, normal behavior or something. Like, she, you know, I could, I could look at her and the way she moved through life, and I knew that there was something wrong with me because she seemed to move through life with ease. I know that that wasn't her um, internal story now, but um, but that's what it seemed like. Uh, my dad uh, gave us beer as babies, and I like to share that with you because, um, I don't know, I think it sounds cute, but also I, I really believe um, that this allergy I have, like when I started seeking out alcohol, um, there was never a time uh, when I didn't want more. And that's, that, is, um, that is what makes me an alcoholic, you know? Like, I, I need more. Once I put it in my body, I want more. And um, so, you know, after feeling like a weirdo and an outcast, having my first drink, um, my first real, like, drunk was at this wedding um, I was drinking, you know, leftover champagne glasses um, that people had left behind and loved it, loved that warmth and wanted more and more and I got caught and they got my aunt to take me home and I remember she was driving home, um, the car, you know, everything was moving all weird and I was like, how is she driving right now? Like, she's been <laughs> drinking this stuff all night. It was pretty cool. Um... <laughs> And uh, another thing you will probably notice in the next hour is that I'm not the greatest historian of my life, and um, I, I am not a person whose brain is organized linearly, so it's going to be back and forth here and there. Hopefully, um, y'all will get something out of it. So that was my first drunk, and I wasn't that drunk. Um, but every single time I drank after that... Um, 
almost every single time I drank after that as a child, I drank so much that I puked. And I kind of thought that meant like, um, you know, I'm not that I'm not set up to be an alcoholic because I get sick every time. Um, you know, once I hit puberty, uh, the mental, my, my, um, my mental state became one of like severe depression and the like, uh, the, um, crushing shyness that I felt that I now know was just like crushing fear. <clears throat> that became unbearable. And so, you know, I drank as often as I could and, um, did all sorts of things to get fucked up, like the sniffing glue. I actually, um, I did that often in like middle school, huffing glue, that was fun. Um, drinking cough syrup, basically taking whatever I could get my hands on. And from about 13 on, I was um, needing to get fucked up all of the time. And because I always drank too much and would end up puking, I sought out drugs more so than alcohol. Um, and that's what I did very happily. And that's where I felt um, the crowd of people that I was hanging out with, I felt at home with. Um, I felt a part of, um, even though the rest of like school and society called me a freak and outcast. Well, they didn't call me an outcast, but I was an outcast. Um, I've been a loner all my life. When I was younger, my best friend was a tree and I climbed it every day. And um, so to give you an idea of that, the kind of like lone wolfishness um, I experienced growing up. So daily drinking or drugging uh, from 13 on, and um, I used to like to, you know, leave the house to like um, leave the house for, you know, a few days here and there at a time. My parents would call it running away, but I always came back. So I never really thought um, I never really thought very much of it. Um, <clears throat> but I would disappear for a few days here and there. And um, because drugs uh, removed the fear of my father. Um, I did that gladly. It was really nice to get the fuck away from them. Um, yeah. So what I want to add before I get more into drunkalogue is that I was um, left on my, my own often. My sister and I were both, uh, we were latchkey kids. We got ourselves everywhere. We grew up... Um, in San Francisco and then moved to Marin when we were 13, but we had been riding the bus by ourselves from the time we were like seven years old. Um, you know, so I did, I like had to like figure out how to do this life stuff with basically no parental like input. Um, like some people, I saw people who like knew how to treat others the way they would want to be treated or be generous without expecting anything else or, um, you know, just live life with ease uh, without having to think too hard about it. And they also didn't seem to have very much difficulty, which I always did. Um, I was always at odds with whatever was going on. <clears throat> so drugs really 
help me feel okay about all of that. Um, and the daily use progressed uh, from like drinking and smoking pot and taking whatever psychedelics to like throwing a little meth, a little cocaine in there, um, some other psychedelics. And what's interesting is that even though like I really disliked uppers like meth and cocaine, I would always take them and I would always take more, you know, and that's, that's really interesting as well. Like, like who but an addict does that like needing you know and that's a theme throughout my sobriety um uh i mean that's a theme throughout my use um and the like key word during all of this is fear like i was a little person constantly afraid um so uh, at about 16 I had gone to rehab for the first time um, when a UA my parents gave me came up positive for everything it tested for, <laughs> um, <laughs> including heroin, which I had never done just heroin. Um, it was um, some ecstasy I'd taken was cut with heroin. But they were like, oh, it's time. So I went to Utah, and, um, and I had my first experience with a higher power on um, this 20-mile night hike. They sent, they sent us out, um, I think, an hour, half an hour apart on this, like, long night hike marked by glow sticks and, like, rivers, you know, little washes that we kind of just had to make our way to, like, the next campsite or whatever. And that was my first fucking earnest prayer was, like, Okay, God, this is really scary. There's all kinds of sounds. Like, I really want to get there. Help me get there. And that night, I also claimed a star for myself. If you guys haven't seen the Utah sky, it is like, whoa. It's the amount of stars that you can see is fucking mind-boggling. And so I picked one for myself, and I started a little conscious contact with a higher power while I was there. They ended up kicking me out of there, and I finished off my stint at a lockdown in Oregon, um, where I got my first cavity search. Um, and I kind of, at that point, had already learned the jargon and what to say and how to look like I was sober and okay. Because at this point, it's it's all appeasement and like kind of like vacation, you know, like a little fucking fucked up <laughs> rehab vacation. Anyhow, I get back and I managed to be clean for. Uh, 30 days after I got out and then this friend of mine and I were hitchhiking to a show um, so I'm in Marin and we're hitchhiking to this show in Petaluma and this guy stops and he's got a friend in the front seat and he's like where are you going we're like we're going to a show at the Phoenix Theater and he's like well we're going to San Francisco but we'll take you kind of more in that direction on our way back and we're like great we've got hours so so we went um, on their journey to go score heroin with them. And it was kind of like, you know, no big deal. But anyhow, this guy, oh, man, this guy, he was like, the mixtape he was playing was like everything I had been wanting to hear. And it was like, oh, my God, you, like, how have I never met you? You're in this tiny little town. And, and a couple days later, we began... Um, 
a fucked up little junky relationship um, that lasted a few years and uh, just the normal, for all you heroin addicts out there, the normal fucking monotony, drudgery, like ruinous uh, relationship that really, um, that got me uh, a lot closer to my bottom and a lot closer to... Um, really understanding what, what this addiction is all about. So, and I'll spare you the details of that. Um, it ended us breaking up. We were on methadone. Um, I was on methadone for, um, for a year during which I was ingesting as much as I could other than everything, everything was okay as long as I didn't do heroin. And so I did. And I was a hot mess, and um, like we all know, and uh, came to, I had been tapering off um, the whole time, because I would go to the fucking methadone clinic and see all of these old fucking loser junkies that I was like, I do not want to be this person when I'm their age, you know? Like, get me out of here. Um, government dope house, like, horrible. It was awful. Um, and so I tapered down that whole year from like, God, only like 60 milligrams of methadone or something. And, um, and so it was a very uncomfortable year if I was not ingesting drugs and alcohol. And at the end of that, my mother um, wanted me to come out to Austin to stay with her because she thought California was going to fall into the bay. She thought San Francisco was just going to fall into the bay and that nuclear war was going to come around. This was 2002. So the first anniversary of the 9-11, of 9-11, um, she was like, shit's going to go down. Come stay with me. And I was like, cool. I'm only on like five milligrams of methadone. Like I'll get off methadone while I'm there. So I was only here for five days. And what I didn't realize, um, Kind of like I didn't realize that you could get, like, strung out from smoking heroin. <laughs> Is that I didn't realize the fucking kick lasts way longer than five days. It's much more, um, for methadone, it's much more, uh, you know, just that lasting pain. That lasting sleep, the sleeplessness. Um, and so I was out here for five days. I went back. I, there, you, like, didn't sleep another few days. And I went to this cafe um, like hoping to run into someone. I was like shivering. Um, oh my God, I can't believe it's been 25 minutes already. Okay, speed it up, Bonnie. So I'm shivering. I end up meeting this guy, smoke crack for the first time. Crack really helps with methadone withdrawal. <laughs> um, that was cool. I ended up moving out to Austin, um, after a jaunt in the shitty little detox that we slept on cots and they gave us one Valium a day as heroin addicts to detox. It sucked. Um, I had a turning point there, but I'll spare you since I'm running, running low on this drunk log time. So I moved to Austin. I go to treatment um, for 30 days. I um, get out, live in a sober house, and I live in this sober house with this super cool woman who was 20 years my senior and like had all of this 
I mean, her junkie history was amazing. She knew William Burroughs, and she played with the Velvet Underground, and caught dope with Nico, and like just had the wildest stories all the time. And we had so much fun. And our um, we created this manifesto, which was like silliness. Like that was super fucking important to be sober and silly. And that's what we did. And I fucking burned that bridge in sobriety. And she was like, you ought to start working some fucking steps, Bonnie, because your life isn't really working that well. And so I did. Um, I got out and I saw a psychiatrist and I got on some medication called, uh, we'll spare the details of that. I got on, on some, medic, some medication for anxiety because meeting the world every day without drugs is anxiety producing, you know what I'm saying? Um, and also depression came back hard. But I worked the steps. Um, I saw my sponsor from back then a few years ago. She is still sober. Um, her home group is Western Trails. She's amazing. She got me my little spiral. She put a sticker of the Virgin Mary in there with this <laughs> prayer written. It was so sweet. And I made it through all the steps with her. Um, and I was about nine months sober. And I made it through all the steps. And I think, I'm pretty sure that that happened because I felt like I was having a spiritual experience. Um, and I couldn't really tell you very much about that because shortly after, um, I thought, well, fuck this medication. I don't want to be taking medication, taking shit every day like I did when I was, um, when I was using. Like, So I quit taking it regularly. Long story short, there was a two-month... This medication had a really short half-life, and so weird stuff starts happening when you quit taking it. For example, I stopped sleeping. I didn't sleep for two months, and what ensued was some psychosis, um, auditory hallucinations, um, going to meetings, having this spiritual experience, um, and being a fucking weirdo. I came in this room. <laughs> I was in this room. This was... Seven, no, 14 years ago, and I was in this room, one of the fucking freaks y'all see here, like, talking to themselves and spouting shit off and, like, double-dipping, triple-dipping at meetings about, like, how I have this relationship with God and the aliens. <laughs> and, and then it got scary. And then, um, dude, two months no sleep, fucking scary. My mother, I was living with my mother, she was dating a man named Jim Jones, so imagine what that does to some paranoid delusions. Um, and, uh, and I ended up having a stay at Shoal Creek, and I slept for three days when I got there, and I came to, like, kind of like with a, like, the demoralized feeling you have after waking up from, like, Waking up, um, remembering, like, the shit you did up until blacking out, which is heinous enough, but, like, that doctor, that Mr. Hyde who came out, like, ugh, it was like that. I was like, oh, my God, I was that fucking crazy person at meetings. It was fucking really shameful. Um, and my sister wanted nothing to do with me. Um, she was clean at this point, sober, and, and, uh, and for a moment... During this psychosis, I didn't believe that she was real, and she wouldn't show up to, like, prove that she was real. So that really upset me. Um, I did not stay sober. I had a year clean at that point, and I did not stay sober. 
Um, I discovered alcohol as like this really nice source of relief after that. I managed to not get right back on heroin. Oh my God, alcohol. You can get it at seven in the morning everywhere. <laughs> Fuck. And so I immediately was a blackout drinker um, and a wino and... Um, yeah, it did not take very long, like only a month or two, where if I started um, with hard liquor, just that first shot, gone. I'd just be gone. And um, people, my boyfriend at the time had this nickname, he called me Monster, because uh, I was a total fucking monster when I drank, um, as, as all of us blackout drinkers are. Um, and I got to say, man, uh, being a drunk is far more humiliating than being a fucking junkie. Like, far more humiliating. And, and I also think that um, because I was born a woman and white, I escaped so much fucking trouble. I don't have a record. Like, I never got in trouble with the law. Um, I got, and there were so many times, so many times that had my, you know, had my, had my gender been different or race, I would have been fucking gone or dead. I like to think that um, if I was a dude, I'd be uh, in prison or dead. I had a lot of people looking out for me. Um, you know, during all this time, like, what's funny, sitting here where I am now, you know, I think about, like, being taken care of, this idea of, like, you know, um, really wanting to be taken care of, and I always was, even fucking using and drinking. Like, I was always... I always had enough dope to get through. Like I rarely had to wait more than a few hours to get what I fucking needed. Um, and I prayed like crazy when I was out there, you know? Like um, all those foxhole prayers we know so much about. Um, and it wasn't until, um, you know, getting back, getting strung out again um, and getting to that point of fucking despair where I wanted to die, like, why am I fucking doing this shit again? Like, you know, my I don't have a lot of great stories about drinking and drugging. They're just pathetic, you know? And the, and the monotony of, of being a heroin addict, like I said, it's just the same fucking, okay, wake up, do a fucking, do a rinse, fuck, go hustle, get the shit you need, go sell it, go get the dope, go home, you know? Like, like, um, I always wanted to do, to do more with my life, have adventures and stuff. Wow, I went through those years pretty fast. Four minutes, all right, doing good, doing good. <laughs> so, <clears throat> really uh, got, um, got a taste of alcoholism. Like, I attended AA meetings as a teenage junkie, you know, and I didn't really have experience with alcohol or even... Um, didn't even really identify as an alcoholic, but I got, I got some fucking experience with that. And um, I think because it was like two years before I got strung out again on heroin that uh, it was only two years. And I think that this saved my body a lot of fucking damage, you know? Like I'm, um, I did. I saved my body a lot of damage. And that was... You know, also kind of one of the things that I thought, like, this is okay, because I always have fresh needles, and I never had an abscess, and I 
Never had, I only had one hangover in my drinking career after a tray of jello shots. Um, <laughs> it was the jello shots that did it. Um, and, you know, and, and all those consequences that a lot of us have in here, like, you know, sales and institutions, very minimal for me. The physical stuff, very minimal. It was all very mental and emotional, just to, like, just feeling like, you know, what a fucking waste. My life was a fucking waste. So my last six months um, getting loaded, I was, uh, I went to Pennsylvania, did a geographical to get off the heroin. I was successful um, in that, and my drinking took off again. And I think this is, this is the stuff that, um, that when people, when I'm in a first step meeting, I always think about that time in Pennsylvania. I don't really think about like when I was strung out on heroin. I think about, um, you know, having this shift, this night shift that I had to go to, and I was gonna meet this dude at the bar to have a few drinks before this night shift, because why not? Because I'm going to be like one of four people. And like think, really thinking, really considering that like, yeah, I could have a few drinks and go to work. And, um, and that I did not go to work. Because like <laughs> always, you know, once I start, I can't, I don't, I don't put it down until I'm fucking passed out. Um, and I had a lot of people saving my ass. Like, um, so many people would tell me like, you know, I'd meet them. Except I had met them like a few days ago in a blackout, and they were like, "Yeah, we found you in the snow, carried you to the car." Like it was, it gets fucking cold in Pennsylvania. It was um, January, December, January in Pennsylvania. Um, Could have died, you know. Um, I think about uh, the night that I was outside playing ping pong with one of my boyfriends at the time, who was. Uh, Still in high school. I'm 25 at this point. And the ping pong, like, the ping pong ball, like, bounces off into this corner of the garage. And I find this bottle, this most of a bottle of Jägermeister. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a gift. It's a gift from the universe. And so I, I grabbed it, and I ran inside. And my other boyfriend, Clint, I was like, Clint, what is this? Um... <laughs> Like, let's drink it. Like, oh, my God, did you know that was there? And he's like, yeah, Ziggler brought that. He didn't want to be driving with an open container. Um, so we put that out there so you wouldn't drink it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, then go ahead and hide it again because I'm going to drink it if you don't. And he was like, no, but it was like being talked to like a child, no, Bonnie. Put it back where you found it. Just don't drink it. And I was like, you shitting me? Are you, you're asking me to do the impossible. And, um, and the next morning I came to on the kitchen floor, and he was like, he asked me, uh, he was like, why did you do that? And my only answer for him was, I'm an alcoholic. And it was so plain and easy to say. There was, um, you know, having had a head full of AA and drinking like I was drinking, um, it was totally obvious. Uh, there was no doubt in my mind. Um, no doubt in my mind. So uh, at that point, so it was six months out there, and I was calling my sister periodically. <sighs> um in tears, beg, you know, 
with suicidal ideations, I don't think I would have actually done anything. I, um, I've had suicidal ideations my whole life and never a, an actual attempt. But um, I would call my sister all the time, and she urged me to come back to Austin. And finally, I was like, okay, can't do it. Can't do it out here. Borrowed some money to get a bus ticket. Um, and I came back out here, and uh, it was not what I expected. Um, all of the sweet promises she made that I, I thought she made um, did not come to pass. And, uh, and I relied a whole lot on her for things um, that I probably shouldn't have. But I did go to some meetings. And I stayed sober for a month. And then on my 30 days, I was like, hey, Lila, take me to a meeting so I can get my 30-day chip. And she was like, no, I'm hanging out with my boyfriend. It's his birthday. And I was like, fuck you then. <laughs> so, so I fucking, I go to a bar. Like, and that whole, like, you know, drinking at somebody. Like, having a fucking resentment and not knowing what to do with it. Not having any tools to work through it. I go to this fucking bar and with only enough money for a shot and a beer and I get the shot and the beer and um, yeah and then you know by the end of the night there I was drinking leftover sparks um, which <laughs> are disgusting um, I was just drinking all the sparks that I found lying around yeah. on tables and it was like for real because I went into that bar kind of like Okay, let's try some controlled drinking, you know? It was sort of um it was sort of a sarcastic thing, but that did enter my mind like this I'm just going to have a shot and a beer. Um and I had never tried to control it before. Um and I failed. That was February 29th of 2008. No, I'm sorry. That was February 28th. And the next day was the 29th, and I woke up still drunk, and so I was like, well, good, because I don't want my fucking sobriety date to be on a leap year. <laughs> um, so March 1st, March 1st, 2008. Um, hopefully, guys, that uh, helps me qualify <laughs> to be here. Um, all right, so sobriety. Oh, oh my gosh. So uh, with some misgivings, I got a sponsor. And I picked her because she had what I wanted. She had an amazing collection of vintage clothes. Some of you here probably remember her. She was a regular here at Bolden. And I worked up to step four with her and found out that she had long-term been on, um, long-term taken uh, pain medication for some slip discs in her back. And that sat really, um, did not sit very well with me. And so I ditched her and I got another sponsor. And, um, and I felt like, um, and this is interesting, when I talk to people who are new, I'm like, dude, like, please try to have a little trust in your intuition because as soon as we sober up, that starts coming back, you know? And like my little, um, aside from getting a sponsor, my thing was like, trying prayer as an experiment. God? <laughs> I don't know if you're there, but I'm going to go to work now and hopefully, like, can I get some help staying sober, staying clean? Um, and I did. And uh, the next sponsor, uh, 
I got to my fourth step and I was doing my fifth step and um, <laughs> she couldn't listen to an hour of it. And so we rescheduled to, you know, finish it up um, the next week and she could only sit through an hour of it. Um, and I still wasn't done reading my fucking fist up. And she was like, let's, we got to stop here. And I was like, oh, you know what? I think I want a sponsor who's willing to fucking sit with me for as long as it takes. And so I started working the steps in a different fellowship. And that ended really quickly because it was going hell to slow. Um, and the fucking fourth step in that was like pages and pages and, you know, life history shit, which um, is not very, is not as effective as like, you know, the simple inventory list, like, let's look at the fucking dented cans of peas in my life and get on to the fucking solution, like, the shit that really changes my life, you know? Um, so I finally started uh, working the steps with this one woman who I completed them with, um, and it was we who would meet at coffee shops and she would like insist on holding hands and praying. And so I got really used to like, just do, you know, like that embarrassed me the first few times, but, um, I was willing, you know, I really wanted relief because, um, you know, not having drugs and alcohol to cope with being alive. Like I needed some fucking relief, you know, the mental chatter gets so loud and, um, just the self-abuse I put myself through, uh, it hurts, you know? It really fucking hurts. Um, so I needed relief, and she helped me get that relief. Um, I, <laughs> I, um, my first, the first amends I made was to this gal uh, who I had a class with and some previous history with. Um, it was like, uh, it was around the first of the month, and she had like 300 or so bucks to pay rent. And I took that money uh, from her and spent it and then helped her look for it later. And that was the first amends I made. And she was like, yeah, you took that money. <laughs> she fucking totally knew it was me. And, um, and it was... Uh, it was just liberating. Like, those promises we hear at meetings... Those are like before we're halfway through with our fucking amends. Like some people are like, oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve steps. Oh, it's so like step six or something, or maybe I don't know. I don't know. But but it's halfway through the amends process. The next like hella intense amends I made was to my dad. And um, ooh, this ooh, I might start getting weepy, y'all. So my dad um, was abusive to us and when I was um when I was like eight or nine uh I was fucking sick of it I hated that motherfucker like I couldn't wait till the day I was big enough to kick his ass you know and when I was eight or nine I don't know what I did but he fucking you know grabbed me by the arm and just starts wailing on my leg and I was like like fuck that guy and so I start pounding my leg so that there would be bruises. And I showed them to some kids at school the next day. Because I was like, fuck that motherfucker. You know, like, I'm going to tell everybody. And I did. And, um, and I didn't know my dad's a good Al-Anon and works the steps. And he made amends for that shit um, a few years before. And, and, and that always, like, uh, for some reason that 
that fucked me up. Like, more than anything I'd done that, like, I didn't even know. Like, he told me about his consequences, which were um, one of my friend's parents went to him and were like, you need to fucking go to anger management. And, um, and he did. And he quit wailing on me, but he kept wailing on my sister, which is unfortunate. Um, but I made amends to him. I told him that I fucking put that shit on myself. And he was like, <laughs> he said, he said, um, that was really smart. Because I never hit you again after that. And I was like, oh, man. You know, like, it wasn't the, like, you learn how to, how to deal with the shit you have to do to get drugs um, really well. But it's that, like childhood shit that like just stays with you you know stays with you until you dress it and that was like after that that was like really that was a big turning point that was mind-blowing oh and step 10 step 10 which like um you know was pointed out to me uh we, uh, we commence this way of living as soon as we start cleaning up the past. So I was fucking writing inventories right and left because I was an angry fucking person when I got sober. Like, so angry at everything. I would write inventories about people at meetings. write inventories about people at work. I would write fucking daily inventories about, like, um, people driving their cars. I was a cyclist. And, you know, scared to death of, like, on the road, like, fucking ragey cyclist. Um, and I would write inventory about that shit. And I would write inventory about dishes constantly. And I would fucking wrote so much inventory about, like, my fucking twin sister who just was not acting right. Um, and I, uh, as some people like to say, I became a ninja inventory. Thankfully, I don't have to write that much inventory anymore. Um to feel like really okay with being alive. Um, step 11, I have developed this uh, conscious contact with a higher power that's like this really casual conversation with like God. It's still like, okay, God. Um, sometimes I have enough, um, I have enough firsthand experience of this power working in my life that like, you know, this conversation is really natural and it's really, like, easy for me to, like, ask for fear to be removed or, like, God, help me do the courageous thing right now. Like, um, God, help me show up for this thing that I really don't want to do. Okay, God, grant me patience to, like, listen to this sponsor who's driving me nuts. Um, <laughs> and, like, tonight, like, put the words in my mouth. Like, please help me talk tonight because I'm scared and nervous and... I don't know what to say. I want to sound good and I want to impress you and I want to be entertaining. Um, and, uh, yeah. And the meditation, um, you know, doesn't look like, uh, it is not as, um, it is not as daily a practice as I would like it to be. However, um, there are as many forms of meditation as there are people on the planet. And something that I've really cultivated and developed um, is, like, imaging. Imagining myself in these messy situations that could potentially be messy and imagining the words I use and how my face looks and 
um, what I do after the thing happens, like, and really in as much detail as I can, like, imagine myself walking through those things gracefully, um, and, like, the person that I want to be, and, oh, my God, it works, and after practicing that for numerous years, like, I don't have to, a lot of those situations, like, I don't have to sit there and imagine, because I fucking do it naturally, like, it's not, um, it's easy, for me to be that person that I always wanted to be and never could be because <laughs> I needed relief, you know, and I needed to get it um, regardless of how, how much or hard I was going to walk all over you. Um, I was really, I was so angry when I came in here and uh, I was so angry and unapproachable. Uh, people stay the fuck away, um, which is perfectly fine with me. Like, my loner, my my inner loner is, like, totally cool with that. And it's um, some recent experience moving out of the country and having a very limited amount of meetings and fellowship that I realized just how fucking important you guys are and, like, how important... Um, the sober friends I've made are and how important having that like group conscious for my life is you know like people I call like does this sound crazy like and then also like sharing good news like oh my god I didn't have that fucking pint of ice cream last night like hooray <laughs> you know um and and honestly y'all with ice cream it's it's a problem. Um, I'm like 10 days off ice cream or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and it's like, and it's like, um, coming to meetings and showing up and I've, I've had the same home group for like nine and three quarter years, something like that, nine and a half, nine and a quarter. And showing up at that meeting pretty much every week, um, over the past 10 years, like, I'm, that is one of the simplest ways I can, number one, be of service, and number two, like, practice the first step, like, I fucking still need the program, like, I'm gonna show my face, and, and talk if it's my turn, and, um, be real, and be honest, and, like, and, and, and that is, after having experience away from my home group for two months, like, oh my God, it's so much more precious now that I've come back. And, <clears throat> you know, my recent, uh, my recent expanding my fellowship uh, to include men, because <laughs> men were not, like, men in rooms stayed the fuck away from y'all alcoholic dudes um, for so long, because... That's what was safe, you know, and uh, and I have plenty of male friends now, and that feels really good. Um, just expanding, expanding my broadening um, my friendships, like reaching out to people like I never have before. Like I never call a fucking fellow alcoholic once a day, every day, um, and thankfully I didn't need to. I was working the steps the best I could, and I stayed sober, you know. Um, like, that's the beautiful thing, too, about this program is, like, what I've learned is, like, I don't have to, my life doesn't have to look like anyone else's. And, in fact, it hurts when I try to make it look like anyone else's, you know. 
and like being able to just like powerfully be myself and unapologetic about it like that's fucking beautiful like that's what being alive that's what being alive is about like and I need it and like I've come I've developed this level of honesty that like has saved my ass like I can't I can't lie anymore I can't do it like um when I was in this foreign city living um uh, trying to make this relationship work, <laughs> shit got so crazy in my head, like, I went and I shoplifted for the first time in sobriety, I shoplifted these little fucking handmade vintage curtains from a plate, from a fucking thrift store, get this, that, like, um, helps addicts find recovery. <laughs> so I fucking shoplifted these curtains with almost 10 years, almost 10 years sober. And, <laughs> and I fucking go to my dude and I'm like, dude, I sold curtains. And he's like, oh. and I'm like, what do I, and I go to him for whatever he's not program. I, for whatever reason, went to him for some kind of solution for that. He's like, no, at all costs, do not go back there and tell them that you sold curtains. And, and um, this, uh, man, the people, I was in Norway, and the people at Norwegian meetings did not know what to make of this Texan. Um, I'm not even Texan. But, y'all, they say, <laughs> they say in Norway, they use for, like, crazy, rowdy shit, they say, that was Texas. Isn't that funny? <laughs> that was Texas. It was like Texas. I was like, what? <laughs> so anyhow, I had this um, old Swedish woman sponsoring me at the time, and she had a, a big book in Swedish, and I had a Norwegian big book. And for whatever reason, I didn't have my copy of the English big book. And we're trying to fucking make sense of this, and I'm like, oh. I'm like, Annelie, I stole some curtains, and I want to make amends. And she's like, okay, just go. Just admit it. Don't make a big deal. And, um, <clears throat> and I had fought the impulse to just go make amends immediately because I know those amends do not typically turn out very well, the ones I do without the guidance of a sponsor or someone, anyone in the program. And so I went in. And I took out the curtains, and I was like, well, first I did a little more shopping. <laughs> I did some shopping. I found this really cool sweater, and I went up to the counter, and I was like, okay, like this. And, um, and I also took these a few weeks ago. And I want to pay for them. And she looked at me, and her fucking eyes were, like, tearing up, and she put her hand on her heart. And she was like, thank you. Thank you. And I was like, yes, fucking sobriety rocks. Night step fucking it it like it's it's the high that I was always looking for, you know? Um another amends uh that someone was really touched by was um when I used to get loaded down on Sixth Street, uh <clears throat> me and this guy, uh, we would always park in this one alley and we would always pass by stubs and they have those little tiny panes of wind pain window panes and we would always punch out as many as we could just walking by and so I went and I went there and I talked to the manager and I was like hey I want to you know pay for these windows and she was like oh. like oh my god like she was so surprised that someone <laughs> came and wanted to make it right and she wouldn't she wouldn't um she wouldn't let me pay but 
You know, I went and did it, and uh, goddamn, I made amends where like, where I was shaking with fear um, because I thought that my body was going to be visited with physical violence after making them, and I fucking, I have never been so close to a higher power leading up to those amends, like praying my ass off. Um, and step 12, man, helping others, like I seek it out. And before I moved to Oslo, um, I sought out helping other people to feel good, you know, to like get that, that high that I've always been looking for. Um, and now, like, I seek to help other people before I'm, a, I'm all fucked up in a fucked up place, like needing, needing to be of service, to stay sober, you know, like it brings me such like true pleasure. Um, man, I can't say enough good stuff about sobriety. Like, it's felt like this magical journey, but like the recipe is on the walls, man. That's all you got to do. Like, um, uh, in California, they say at meetings, like suit up and show up. And I was always like, man, fuck that. I am never, I never want to fucking dress anything other than how exactly how I'm fucking dressed, you know, like, and I don't have to dress a certain way to be sober, you know, or like, um, be, be a, a channel for my higher power. Like that shit doesn't matter. You know, what matters is what is happening between my ears and what I do, you know? Um, and it's really a, pre it's a pleasure and I'm so grateful to be an alcoholic, and I'm so grateful to be sober, and I'm so glad y'all listened tonight. Thank you. That's it. Thank you.